Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Creative Control with Vish Hey, happy Halloween, and holy shit, the Toronto police found the Rob Ford crack-smoking video. That just happened, ladies and gentlemen. That's crazy. They found the video. Everyone, for months, people have been talking about this video. John Cook of Gawker, who discovered the video, was on this very first episode of this show. He said he found the video. Rob Ford denied it. You know, of course, what is he supposed to say? I know video exists. And a lot of people doubted it. And then they found the video. Toronto police reported today they found the video. And... It's crazy. It's a crazy situation. It just happened. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's nuts. And it's on Halloween. It, maybe this is some kind of trick. It feels like a treat, but it could be... I don't know. I hope this is... It's crazy. Anyway, that just happened. I'm recovering from this. Okay, I have to make a correction. Uh, the last episode of the program featuring Aurora, I meant to play you song number four, which is uh, track number six. And I actually ended up playing you track number four, which is song number 10. It's very confusing, but Ariel of Aurora, I saw her last night in Guelph when they played a show, and she mentioned that I got the song wrong, and I feel terrible. But as I say, you you can't even remember what I just said. It's so confusing. Anyway, I apologize. I had to make a correction. But uh, check out that Aurora record in the Pines. It's really great. On this show, very pleased about this show. This is a good one. Ben Blackwell of Third Man Records. He is one of three people, uh, among them Jack White, who runs Third Man Records. It's a very cool label. They're doing lots of interesting stuff with vinyl, uh, kind of historical preservation stuff. They're working with old labels that uh, matter, Uh, Document Records, Sun Records, Paramount Records. They've got a new box. Well, it's a box set, but they call it a wonder cabinet about Paramount Records. a fascinating story. So Ben and I have a conversation about uh, that the Wonder Cabinet, also uh, why Third Man Records works the way it does, because I'm very intrigued by it, uh, how vinyl and CD sales compare these days, why there's a vinyl shortage, why people are having trouble making vinyl records in North America. It's, it's it was. I'm very happy with this conversation. And you're going to hear a new song by the Gories. Well, it's new, a new release by the Gories. The, it's an old song, old recording. But yeah, I'm very happy about this one. Ben's a very insightful, great guy. I appreciated the time. So here it is. Me and Ben Blackwell having a conversation about Third Man Records. Happy Halloween. Crack smoking video. I gotta go lie down. Hey, this week's episode is brought to you by Pizza Trocadero. For my money, the best pizza you can eat in Guelph, Ontario. A proud, independent family business run by a punk rocker. Trocadero only uses a rich array of fresh ingredients cut by hand and homemade dough made daily, all baked to perfection inside of a stone oven. It's gourmet panzerotti, calzones, wings, salads, garlic bread, breadsticks, and oh man, the pizza. The pizza. Personally, I like the gourmet domateo with goat cheese, artichoke, roasted red pepper, mushrooms. I sub out the turkey breast for eggplant, but that's just me. Wash the whole thing down with a brio. Man, I am getting hungry just talking about this. Call Pizza Trocadero at 519-829-2444. Visit them at 7 Municipal Street in Guelph and online at trocaderoguelph.ca T-R-O-K-A-D-E-R-O-G-U-E-L-P-H dot C-A That's Pizza Trocadero, a place of the good trade. Like 
Ben Blackwell works at Third Band Records, a multi-platform label, record store, venue, and studio in Nashville, Tennessee. And he once claimed his business card listed his position there as Psychedelic Stooge. Blackwell has also played drums in the Dirt Bombs. He runs his own label, Cass Records, and he's the official archivist for the White Stripes, whose Jack White owns Third Man. As a label, Third Man has been doing some amazing work in terms of releasing cool new records, and they've also gone deep into history to reissue the work of important artists and labels like Sun and, and Paramount Records, among others. Here now to provide some more insight about Third Man is Ben Blackwell. Uh, hi, Ben. How, how's it going? It is very wonderful here in Nashville, Tennessee. It's a nice day. It's a beautiful, lovely day. Is it? Is it? Is it ever terrible in Nashville? Well, we don't have windows in the building, so it's hard to tell from my office. But uh, you know, I feel like it's a good day out. Why? Why would you not have windows in your office? That seems like a, that doesn't sound nice. Well, I mean, I don't have windows to the outside world. I've got windows to you know the rest of you know the rest of the building. But you know. <laughs> I'm, I'm I'm not complaining. <laughs> no, I, I'm not. I'm not suggesting you are. I guess you just took what you had there. The building didn't come with windows. You got to deal with it. I just think windows to the outside world are always important in the day to day life of a working person. Yeah, we don't have windows. We run uh, we run mountain lion here. Oh, okay. There you go. Uh, That's very good. Very good. A little Mac joke for people. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Zing. <laughs> I want to ask you about the uh, evolution of Third Man's uh, vision and aesthetic. This is a label I've been admiring uh, from up here in Canada for some time. I, I, I appreciate what you guys are up to. And, I'm, and I know that it started off, uh, my understanding is it started as sort of a, an outlet to keep the White Stripes catalog going, right? Yeah, 100% exactly. Right. And then slowly but surely, it's evolved into this, I don't know, it's like the Smithsonian of uh, sort of underground music. All of a sudden, you're, you're, you know you know what I mean? Like, it's just like you're delving into something else now. Can you talk a little bit about what Third Man is up to? Um, yeah, you know, when we started down here, well, when I got the call, I got a call from Jack about five years ago um, telling me that he had bought a building in Nashville and... Um, he wanted to start a record label. And Third Man existed as as this in name only, um, as this entity that kind of had the ownership of the White Stripes catalog. So when they would sign a deal with V2 or XL, um, it wasn't really the White Stripes signing the deal. It was a licensing deal through this entity, Third Man Records, that had no employees. There was no offices or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of these, these contracts that they signed were, were that um, – all the rights to the releases would revert back to Third Man Records, you know, th- to the band through Third Man Records. So at the time he called me, um, the first five White Stripes albums in the U.S. Uh, were out of print. So self-titled, Distill, White Blood Cells, Elephant, and Get Behind Me Satan were all out of print on vinyl. On vinyl, okay, States. yeah. Yes, uh, Warner Brothers had, had uh, taken up the, the CD, um, releasing um so his his call to me was hey like we own the white stripes catalog on vinyl let's just put it out uh and you know there's a there's a bunch of each one of those records has the uh, accompanying singles as well so it was it was literally like we'll reissue the white stripes catalog that should be enough to keep a record label going Mm -hmm. um and then like complete afterthought you know said and maybe we'll do some some other releases as well um, at the time, there was uh, there was some demos uh, recorded by a, a band that we all love here called the Greenhorns. Um, Patrick Keeler, Craig Fox, and Jack Lawrence. They had recorded some demos in Nashville, I think, in 2004 or 2005, um, that ended up never being released. It was kind of this CDR that they gave a you know a bunch of us friends, um, and then they went on and recorded something else. And and that was kind of like the specific thing, like the the one specific new, uh, never released thing that we had talked about. Like, mm-hmm. and maybe we'll put out those those Greenhorns Nashville demos. Maybe maybe we'll put those out because we all really really love those. Um, but that was it. That was that was that was the pitch. I moved down here from Detroit um, about four months later, five months later. Um, and so by the time I got here in March of two thousand nine. Uh, the Dead Weather formed, wrote, and recorded their entire first album, and completely shifted the the, the focus of the label, one hundred percent. So our first year was 
the Dead Weathers album. You know, there's four singles off that album. It was just establishing Third Man as this this entity, um, as well as Jack had the idea for what we call the Blue series. So we've got a, a big blue, uh, we've got a blue room that has a psych wall in it, um, and you can psych wall that you can use for taking photos and video and stuff like that. And so he had the idea. It's like we should do like just one-off singles by artists. Um, maybe it's people traveling through town, uh, but you know we record at the Third Man Studio. We take the pictures in the blue room. Uh, we press it, you know, two blocks away over at United Record Pressing, uh, which is right here in Nashville. Um, you know, just just kind of little bursts of of creativity. You know, it's it's hard to get people to want to sign on for. A full album, and most of the people that we we do stuff with are already signed to to other labels or bigger labels. So the idea of these seven inches was, um, you know, a creative way to kind of just get a little peek at what someone was was doing or was capable of doing. And that appeals to you, like I know that you're a big you you prefer the seven inch format to even uh, a twelve inch format, a vinyl full length thing. Yeah, abs- absolutely. I. I um, you know, I guess the it seems to me like the uh, the dawning uh, or the the rise to prominence of the LP as as the medium of choice for musicians seems kind of tied to the rise and availability of marijuana in the American culture. <laughs> um, uh, but I feel like most people's attention spans are are far more suited towards singles. Mine, mine personally, I've. I I don't smoke pot. Maybe that's the problem. I I don't um, do I don't do any drugs myself. So I, I guess my just to clarify this, you're saying that the, just the, the length of the record, people get lazy, they get stoned, they just want to sit there. They don't want to get up and change the sides. You know, is that what you're saying? Well, I I would I would tie, I would I would say that yeah, the the uh, the availability of marijuana to the common American public, uh, you know, 1960s underground subculture, I think is is. There's definitely a correlation between that and, uh, you know, the focus of, of popular music becoming albums versus singles. Focus um, is the key phrase focus. there. Focus. Yes, yes, focus, focus. But now, um, I don't know if there's less pot available or what, but now it seems like more and more people are focused on singles uh, with iTunes and downloads. I mean, trying to, you know, how many big artists have, you know, two hit singles uh, trying to prop up, you know, a 60-minute 60, 60 long full-length CD um, there's too many other distractions. There's too many video games. I mean, everyone's spent time on the internet. It's easy to, to not have 40 minutes to listen to a record or 60 minutes or whatever it might be. Yeah, but I think editorially, coming from my background as a as a music writer, you know, I would say, hey, to my editor, like there's a new single, and they'd say, great, when's the record coming out? There's just this feeling that the record, the full length format, is more serious. Than yeah. a no one's saying no one's saying that about Justin Timberlake or Miley Cyrus or any of that stuff though. Like Miley Cyrus comes out with, um, not Wrecking Ball, whatever the the we can't the stop, hit. we can't stop, we can't stop. People are writing about that like crazy. That no one no one's saying no one's saying well we'll wait until the album comes out. You that, know that's true. I mean, that's true. You're right. Inev- inevitably, I th- and I think it's a top down phenomenon. So as that happens more so. Um, it's going to be smaller and smaller. You know who who's doing it for a while. Beck was doing it. I mean, we did a single with him, but he he put out stuff that was kind of just not connected to anything. He did um, that release Time Bomb, which was just just a single. iTunes did a 12 inch. wasn't part of any album cycle or anything like that. And you can do. I, I mean, I feel like an artist can do that once every two three months um, and remain fresh and current and. Uh, you know, lively. Um, I don't, even my favorite bands, I don't, it's hard for me to clear out an hour's worth of time to dedicate, to really sit down with a record. I can put something on in the background while I'm working or, you know, doing something else, but to really sit and dedicate the attention that I'd love to dedicate to my favorite artists is really difficult. But if you give me a a seven inch, two songs, I can pay attention to that. Yeah, no, that makes sense to me. Psychologically, that makes sense to me. Of course, it makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, but I mean, I think you understand where I'm going, where I'm coming from too, and I think that's just. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, you've you've cited some examples of where the singles are enough, and uh, yeah. and then people yeah. are, are are biting into them. Okay, and I mean, a lot of people when 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 you hear that someone started a label, 
uh, a lot of people wonder why. Particularly like in this day and age, you know, like people are like, well, what's the point of a label anymore? But what what I've noticed about Third Man is that you're really embracing the documentation aspect of being a label. Like it seems like that is now the primary, well, not the primary function, but it does seem like everything is documented and artifacts are kind of uh, bolstered again. Like I haven't been to the space. I want to come to the space at some point. But, you know, you've got these kind of old machines that make things that no one really uses anymore, but you've, you know, they've been refurbished and they function. And, you know, it's similarly like just capturing a time. How important is that to the third man outlook in terms of just documenting what's happening? I guess it's uh, it's a matter of just what we enjoy and what we appreciate and what we think is important and how we express that. So, you know, for something like Paramount, the, the Paramount box set, that's something that is really, really important, not only in in American musical history, but just in, you know, world history, I, th- I think, in the grand scheme of uh, how a record label develops around the time of, you know, just uh, around the time of World War One and through, you know, through the Great Depression, the 30s, and, and things like that, and what what changes you see just just in the context of 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 one record label like Paramount. Um, can you can you and, just for people listening? Can you kind of elaborate upon the importance of like the, what we're talking about now is the, the Third Man is going to release this the rise and fall of Paramount Records, 1917 to 1932, uh, and it's not even billed as a box. It's billed, I believe, is the phrase Wonder Cabinet. Is that what it is? Well, the, Wonder Cabinet is, is preferred terminology, yeah. Wonder Cabinet. So can you talk a little bit about the label and then what's in this Wonder Cabinet? Well, Paramount, uh, you know, started in, in 1970 as an extension of the Wisconsin, Wisconsin Chair Company, um, who made uh, phonographs, Victrolas. And their idea behind starting a record label was if they made records that would inspire more people to actually buy these big, you know, pieces of furniture. They weren't cheap. They were they were, you know, it was an investment. So there I don't even know if you could say that it was a thought process uh in what they put they put a thought process behind what they should record. Um they just recorded everything. They they put through everything against the wall to see what would stick. Uh, and in the process, kind of almost in a, in terms of like blind luck, they ended up recording lots of very, very um, important and interesting and historic examples of uh, early American musical forms, whether it be folk music or blues or gospel or country, hillbilly. Um, uh, they kind of, you know, they thought that if they recorded, you know, African-Americans, then African-Americans would... Uh, would buy these phonographs. Um, no one really kind of approached it that way uh, prior to them. Um, and so what you have is this huge repository of um, of just really, really amazing, interesting, uh, you know, it's American history. I, someone mentioned to me recently, they said, you know, this Paramount box set, it kind of... Wonder cabinet... Wonder Cabinet, you're right. I, I'm, it's hard not to say box set. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> this Paramount Wonder Cabinet, um, <laughs> it goes beyond being, uh, it goes far beyond being something to just listen to. Um, and, it, and it becomes scholarship. It becomes something that you hope, you know, 100 years from now, someone wanting to find out about that era or that time, this is what they're going to um, look at and have access to and really, really... Um, Get that story. Well, this is this is the thing about Third Man. Like I, I, you know, I earlier I said that you seem to be documenting things, but you, the, the word scholarship, I think, is really significant. I think you're you're doing a service. You're doing like an acad. It sounds dry, and I don't mean it to sound dry, but this is like academic work. Like this is something that like, you are delving deep into the the, the underground of, of music, and you're bringing it back up for people who may have missed it the first time around. And it's a noble pursuit, and I, and I don't know. I guess I'm just curious of what about what motivates it. It sounds like you've got real kinship with what with what Paramount was doing at the time, which was just like, 
here's something that we think is interesting and and here it is like that's it like yeah. it doesn't matter where <laughs> where it comes from or what it what it is like if it i mean i don't know where the aesthetic decisions are being made but it, uh, in terms of third man if it's between you and jack or what but that seems to be a key thing mm-hmm. um well, you know of of recent you know uh, in recent times uh we've tried to make you know the first two three four years of the label um it was pretty much almost exclusively records and work uh that jack had done uh so whether it was 15 years ago with white stretch records that we were reissuing or current things of of his of the dead weather or his solo work um or you know blue series records that that he produces in the studio everything that we were doing was uh you know his his entire uh his fingerprints were all over it mm-hmm. um and that's that's great because i i i believe he has impeccable taste and and people pay attention to that people know that um but there's been a, a you know a definite uh it was a deliberate direction that that we're working in to try to do things that maybe have no, don't have his name on them at all um or, or it's not any any music that he's recorded or he's produced or anything um but it's just something that we really really um we love and appreciate and think that it's important uh and that other people uh maybe with this you know this bully pulpit we have of third man records where people pay attention to because they know it's Jack White's label um you know maybe we can trick them into um paying attention to old blues artists or you know seven inch singles from sun records from you know 60 years ago yeah and, and um, what 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 inspires me in particular like when, when i see videos of the third man uh building or when you know about all the stuff that's in it and I, when i hear about what's happening there when i read the your newsletters that i get in the on the email, like it almost feels like like an imagination factory that has actually come to pass. Like it's it's remarkable. It's a playground that's actually doing really great work. Uh, you know, it's run by adults, but it's it seems like you can do whatever you want. I, I'm and and you know we we talk about this wonder cabinet. You talk about all the colored vinyl. You talk about studio in there, like the the facility itself. Why do you reckon and how do you reckon uh, Third Man is able to work? on such a grand scale like it's 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 actually like it's so admirable but i'm sometimes just like when is the bottom going to fall out of this thing like, <laughs> what what are the practical aspects of doing what you're doing like how does it work on a on a daily basis i mean it's it's the, i can probably break it down into to two really really basic points that to answer your question the first the first being um we have the luxury of the the entire uh Infrastructure, the, the, the nuts and bolts of this label are all built upon the White Stripes back catalog. Um, that's that's really, really. I, I I don't want anyone to underestimate that. For us to be able to put that out and and keep that in print for not lying forever. That that's the goal. These these records will always be available. Hmm. Um, to be able to base a record label on that, which is you know, not only is that. Um, is this a classic band that's loved the world over and, and has sold, you know, countless number of records? Um, but that's also um, that's something that people pay attention to. So people know, oh yeah, Third Man, all the White Stripes stuff in there. So it's Third Man is in their head. Mm-hmm. Um, and secondly, um, it's a we're really really lucky because we have releases like the White Stripes back catalog or Jack White Blunderbuss or his solo singles, um, uh, records that do very, very well and sell very, very large, large numbers. Um, we're able to figure out or strike a balance between those records that are, that are lucrative and the records that we go into uh, the situation knowing that they're not going to make any money, but still, um, still knowing or wanting to put them out because we believe, like I said, they're important. It's stuff that we want other people to hear. Mm-hmm. Um, and and those 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 two uh, those two points are pretty 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 much why we're able to do what we're what we're doing. You know, I oftentimes get people asking me and they say, "How can how can I start a label like Third Man Records?" <laughs> um, 
And I almost say you can't. I mean, well, the first thing I would say if you wanted to start Third Man Records is you need to be Jack White. You need to have, you know, he didn't start this label until he'd been, you know, playing uh, music you know, professionally, however you want to call it, with, you know, the White Stripes. The White Stripes were, you know, 12 years old by that point, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it wasn't something that was rushed into. It wasn't something that... Um, you know, had to struggle to to start like almost every other record label. We immediately had catalog that we could, uh, you know, stake a claim uh, and and have that recognition. Um, that's the, I, I I cannot uh, overemphasize that point enough. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay, and and uh, I mean, on some level, as much as this is admirable work, you know, some of the some of the releases that I've received from White Stripes or from from rather from Third Man are uh pretty plain you know they're you know black label or whatever whatever you want to call or rather black sleeve you know maybe it's a live recording that uh Mm -hmm. whatever yeah and some things have a lot of sort of more aesthetic uh um production value to them if you will and I'm, i'm just curious if is there ever a butting of heads about when you're making a wonder cabinet for example like how is this actually going to work how are people how are we going to ship this thing all comes in you know we've we've been working on on the the wonder cabinet the paramount collection um that's been over over a year in the works mm. um of ev- of every every individual part component how it fits in uh, the look the shape the size of it um it's all been um you know discussed and debated and and you know ideas that were uh, were in there have, have been thrown out and things at the last minute have kind of been included, um, but it's uh, you know it's 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 seldom, if ever, that there's that there's really kind of a, a, a ideological uh, rift between um, you know the thoughts of either myself and my my coworker Ben Swank, who you know we kind of. We both came here, moved to Nashville, and started the label with Jack. Yeah. Um, uh, and you know, we're, we we've all known each other for I think I've, I've known you know, I've known Jack all my life, and Swank I've known probably about I think I met him when I was fifteen, so you know I've known him sixteen, seventeen years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we definitely kind of see eye to eye on damn near everything in in regards to you know what we're doing and why we're doing it and what it should look like. Okay. Um, it, it does not, uh, you know. I think that's that's part of the reason why, um, you know, we we were asked down here to begin with. Is Jack uh, Jack knew what our our sensibilities were and what what you know what our process was, our thought process. Yeah. When when CDs were first uh, brought into the market, I think some more astute uh, music lovers, sound sound engineers, were almost immediately. Uh, alarmed and also suggested like oh well this thing is inherently obsolescent like obsolete it's not going to last and um and that's kind of that has come to pass like the cd is uh, as a format is dead and uh and i'm just curious what dying let's say dying it's not dead okay it's still it's still dying you know there's still you know 200,000 some people that bought Blunderbuss on CD in the United States. So I, as much as I'd like to say it's dead and, and I want it to be, it's also, you know, on certain things, there's a, there's still those folks that buy them. So. so when you say it's something that you want to say, say is dead, why, why is that? Why, why, is, why did the CD uh, as a format inspire so much uh, intense hatred? From there's, there's, nothing, there's nothing inherently interesting about a CD. I think, and have always felt, you know, once you, you know, as a kid, you know, I think the first time I saw one, I was maybe, oh, maybe like seven or eight years old. Um, the, the, the fact that it was it played with a laser, that's the only thing I've ever thought was, was semi-interesting about it. It comes in smaller packaging. Um, it, you get less artwork. Um, it's not, it's not as fun to hold. Um, I, I don't begrudge people that that like CDs or prefer them for convenience or listen to them in their car or whatever. That's that's fine. But I think we're at a point now we, we've we've crossed that point in the bell curve where younger people now are 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 more likely than ever to just not buy CDs. 
they will download if they need to. Um, you know, some of them, which which we're seeing here at Third Man, they'll they'll buy the vinyl, and the vinyl maybe maybe it comes with the download code. But the folks that are actually in, intently excited about CDs, that is that is what's dying. Um, okay, you know, but... you could you could liken it to eight tracks. You know, after a certain point, there were people that you know they made the switch, and there's still the vestige of a footprint that this format has. But you can see, you know, it's on its way out. But how do you, how do you like reconcile the fact that what CDs have really they, okay, so CDs have been replaced, uh, or whatever. Vinyl has had a resurgence uh, over the last couple, I don't know, decades even, and yeah. that's fine and that's all well and good. But what a lot of people are replacing CDs with are uh, these digital files, which are actually a more degraded audio file than what is even on the CD. So. How do you reconcile that? Like we we are seeing the death of this format, but it is ostensibly being replaced by these sound files that that are shit. Well, I think it it brings about a question of how you're listening to, where you're listening to, and why you're listening to it. Um, for me, you know, the main <laughs> the main time I'm listening to MP3s is. Uh, either on a, a road trip, the iPod plugged into uh, the car stereo, or at the gym uh, through through earbuds. Um, I'm not, you know, it's not much more than that for me. If I'm at home, I'm putting on a record. Um, most of the stuff, I wouldn't say all the stuff that I have on my iPod I have on record, but a lot of it I do. Um, and it's not, it's not from... Uh, you know, having download codes and thing, things like that in LPs, it's from having bought the CD and having bought the vinyl. Um, so it is convenience. Like the things you're outlining are just like, I can't, you know, we used to have Discman. <laughs> we yeah, used to have yeah, Walkman, exactly. and Walkman and Discman, and, and then yeah. that has been replaced by these tiny little things that we can bring with us everywhere. But the end result, I'd say, still is that the, the you're, you're like, okay, I, I don't know. Are you making like, say, like you've been reissuing these, these beautiful Charlie Patton, Blind Willie McTell, Mississippi. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. So you've been releasing these volumes that are amazing. And I are they available digitally? Like, can people buy them digitally? They are. Uh, the Those reissues that we're doing are a partnership with a label called Document Records out of the UK. Yeah. And uh, so the digital versions and the CD versions are available from document. Okay. Um, so we're, we're exclusively doing vinyl on, on that stuff. So, um, so that's, that's our, that's our domain for that. But, um, recognizing what, what kind of attention was being paid to it. Um, we, uh, we encouraged or, or just, you know, flat out, you know, well, I, I, let me let me let me take a step back. I'm not not exactly sure which uh, which direction it came from, but Document has their own kind of uh, style and presentation uh, format uh, template, whatever you want to call it, sure. that they do for their their artwork, their covers. And it's pretty. It, it looks a little more scholarly, and uh, it's it's a little more um, simple. Um, but with all the attention we were getting for these these series that we were doing. Um, we just said, hey, why don't you just use our cover art for for iTunes and your digital uh, sales? Because that's what people are are noticing now, or that's what people are going to refer to these as, or that's what people are going to be looking for. And so they did that, and I'm and I'm you know surely that that's 
that connection has helped them. But uh, but our you know my the best example I can give is you know the Sun Records reissue series that we we're um, in the middle of. Um, Sun as a label it still exists. You know the the Sam Phillips sold Sun to. Shelby Singleton in maybe 1969, mm-hmm. I believe, mm-hmm. um, and it's still controlled by the Singleton family. Um, their headquarters is here in Nashville, um, but they don't—they don't make any records. They don't manufacture CDs. Uh, they basically just own the rights to that stuff. Right. And they license it out mm-hmm. uh, for compilations, for you know, whatever. Um, and I had, you know, a, a little while back, I had to just ended up over there. We had mutual friends and saw their operation, and I just asked them, I said, well, what if someone wanted to, to put out Rufus Thomas Bearcat on 7-inch? What would you do about that? I said, well, we just, you know, sign a licensing deal and, and just do it. Um, and to me, that, it hit me really hard, first off, because I absolutely love Bearcat by Rufus Thomas. It's one of my favorite songs. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it also felt like, well, this is the way that I would hope people can experience this song. You know, that wasn't my introduction to Bearcat. I had it on a, a bootleg compilation of the first three years of Sun. Uh, but to be able to present it in that context of, of how it was originally presented, that's really, really um, exciting and, and uh, fulfilling on our end. And for a label like Sun, which is so, you know, is there a better known record label uh in in the world, you know, of, of all time, how many how many hundreds of thousands of Sun uh, Records logo T-shirts have there been made and mm-hmm, seen, mm-hmm. you know, the world over? Um, it's just again, it's very very important recordings uh, in American musical history, from country to blues to R and B to gospel to rockabilly. Um, you know, even later garage singles, bands like Randy and the Radiance, all that stuff. Um, it's it's important and more people you know if we can use if we can trade on jack white's visibility and popularity to get people to listen to rufus thomas and the prisoners and johnny cash then uh we kind of almost have to do that we would be we would be remiss if we weren't doing this so you're not lo- you're not likely losing any sleep over this but is it is it at all heartbreaking for you to to put this work into these records by by Rufus Thomas, by Charlie Patton, by Blind Willie McTeller, whoever, and then, and then know that somewhere someone is listening to it on their earbuds, on their iPod. In the end, it—I mean, you know, people's choice of format or accessibility or anything like that—it's not gonna—it's not gonna keep me up at night. I don't think it's gonna keep any of us up at night. Um, I tend to see, I, or at least you know, maybe I'm idealizing the situation, but I think folks. Uh, who get really deeply into something or really uh, attached to something and get excited about it and appreciate it, um, I just get the feeling that they tend to, um, at some point or another in their appreciation for it, uh, they tend towards a physical format. Um, I don't know anyone who's, uh, you know, uh, a crazy, insane music nerd, snob, collector, um, musicologist, fan, journalist, anyone who is solely 100%. I'm just digital. I don't, I don't know. I don't need, I don't need the, the physical, I don't need, even if you're, even, I don't need the CD or I don't need the vinyl. No, it's just. Yeah, no. And, uh, and, and you're clearly like this, 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 this label, the, the work you're doing is filling a, a need and a niche for, for, for people. I mean, you mentioned that, uh, 200,000 people bought Blunderbuss CDs, uh, do you have a, a stat on how many people bought the, the the album on vinyl? On vinyl, so that was U.S. numbers for uh, for Blunderbuss based on the Soundscan report that I saw uh, this week, mm-hmm. last week. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, I think it, it's probably closer to two forty or two fifty, two hundred fifty thousand for vinyl. Um, oh, for, no, oh, no, 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 no. That's just that's just for CDs. Okay. So I was, I was clarifying the, the number on CDs. Uh, in the United States, SoundScan on vinyl shows to be um, approximately forty thousand. Okay, uh, so which is about I think eight percent of total sales hmm. um, for an artist. And and I'd have to double check on on what we've actually shipped out and sold from here 
to clarify how you know SoundScan does weighting on indie stores and all that stuff. So um, that yeah, could yeah. be could you know could be up or down from there. But is that a, is that a, is, a good, is that a healthy figure for you? Um, that is. I just mentally roll through the <laughs> uh, the release schedule. That is. Um, I think that is undoubtedly the most we've sold of any title uh, on LP. Um, And that's just in the U.S. So there's probably an additional 30 to 40,000 that we sold the rest of the world. Okay. Uh, So um, for an artist uh, of Jack's size, Jack's not, uh, he's not the biggest artist in the world, but he's certainly really big uh, in the vinyl world. Right, right. Uh, So so yeah, last year, Blunderbuss was the top-selling LP in the United States, and it was the first time, I think, in five or six years that um, it wasn't a Beatles album that was the top-selling record. Um, okay. No, and yeah. so it's good. I mean, you're, you're heartened by the reaction to the work you're doing and, and how people are responding yeah. to, to the aesthetic. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it's... it's. I think any other artist that you would, would kill to have uh, whatever the percentage of, you know, those those 40 thousand sales i think you know the total the total sales of blunderbuss in the u.s are five five hundred thirty some thousand so it's it's less than ten percent but it's i don't know it's maybe no, eight it's, or so yeah no it's it's, but, it's still pretty remarkable and yeah and, um you know any other you know i've talked to other people that that work vinyl and work artists in similar similar situations or whatever and they're like man we'd be happy to have two percent or three percent uh, of our sales be vinyl but um so you know that's you know that's what our focus is, so so I'm I'm happy that it's it's in that range. And let's let's <laughs> let's be honest. Let's do Blunderbuss is a great record. Jack toured his ass off. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, Grammy, you know, Grammy, we're, we're, Grammy nominated, I believe. Grammy nominated, amazing Grammy performance. Um, you know, toured the world over. Um, you know, that's that's definitely it's it's easy selling a record when when he's doing all of that work. I, I just need to. You know, on my plate, I just need to make sure that the record's uh, pressed and in stock, and uh, people who want to buy it can find it. And uh, you know, that's that's becoming more and more of a challenge every day. Yeah, you mentioned the Sun story, which I was uh, I found intriguing. The the idea of you just being like, "Hey, uh, could we put this out?" and then being like, uh, "Yeah," because uh, the logistics <laughs> of re- reissuing all of this work by these legendary artists and and you know. I mean, it seems daunting to me. Do you, do you have a sense of why these labels, and, and I assume in some cases, like art artist estates, are willing to work with Third Man on, mm-hmm. on these things? Well, Sun, Sun specifically, you know, the interesting thing I found with Sun, which I hadn't known before I even talked to them, was that um, other than the the rights and masters to Elvis Presley, which they sold in uh, was the end of 1955 or early 1956, um, they kept and still own everything that they did. Oh. So you're talking about Roy Orbison, Jerry Lee Lewis, Johnny Cash, uh, Carl Perkins, uh, all kinds of this amazing stuff. Uh, it's all uh, controlled under under one roof. So in terms of dealing with Sun, I can I can tell you exactly what, what their thought process is. Um, Sun is a label whose fans are literally dying every day Mm -hmm. the people that really really have appreciated it and and known it or collected it whatever you want to say um those are guys who are getting into their 70s or 80s um and there's not much effort being put into um or it's it's more difficult than ever to get younger kids to pay attention to it um so for son for me some you know punk kid from detroit who live, who works down the street to come in and say hey let's let's do some of this on 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 45 what they see is jack white's record label and it's kids buying a boatload of vinyl and so we're reaching out to a customer base that sun does not have um a foot in the door with uh by any stretch of the imagination mm-hmm. so again what i said it's trading on our uh you know, name recognition or our reputation uh, to be able to tell folks Sun Records is important, and here's here's it's so important that we are going to reissue this, these records because people need to hear them. Yeah. Um, so for Sun, it's it's clearly um, it's uh, it's relevance. 
you know, it's it's context that they're that they're getting out of all of this. Um, you but know, no one's gonna no no one's gonna get rich just pressing forty fives. Let's I'll just you know <laughs> get that out of the way. No, you know, they're not gonna retire on on licensing titles to third man records, but uh, you know, it keeps it alive. Yeah, and it's it seems mutually beneficial. Like when I hear third man's working with Sun. To be honest, you know, I, I imagine a young kid's like, what's Sun? But for me, I'm like, holy shit, they're working with Sun. Like, that to me is, or, you know, you're doing this Paramount Records thing. Like, that's my reaction is, like, it seems to bolster your rep as well. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I mean, <laughs> you know, after talking to Sun, I came in a meeting here and said, like, I don't know, kind of almost even, not even sure about it. Like, it almost seemed... It seems so cool that maybe I was missing something, but I said in a meeting like, like Jack and Swank, do you, th- you guys would you be into like if we did like reissued seven inches from like the Sun catalog? <laughs> like, uh, yeah, that would be awesome. Like, oh, okay, good, we're all on the same page. I, I just wanted to make sure. Um, but it's one of those things that you know. It, I think we're lucky because we trade so heavily in the in the seven inch format that you know, any other label would probably do 500 and be done with it. Uh, and we're able to kind of keep this stuff in print and, uh, and work on doing more releases, uh, from the catalog. Therefore the catalog of 45 they've, they've, they've got is, um, it's so rich. It's so amazing. And yeah. just, just yeah. trying to pick, trying to pick three at a time to do is, is almost overwhelming. It's, 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 uh, it's a great, <laughs> it's a, great fun part of my job i'm not gonna lie <laughs> well it's good for you have you noticed uh, uh, a shortage in uh vinyl have you noticed that uh, you're not getting stocking on time um it's becoming bad <laughs> it is bad right i mean i I've, i can't tell you how many i've talked about this a few times on this show like i've been to yeah. uh concerts that are record releases and people are like yeah the record wasn't ready and like it's happening uh, more and more frequently it is and and there's two things that are happening that were it just either one of these situations, I think the, the supply would, would be fine. But these two situations together, which are, there's more people than, uh, than ever. And when I say there's more people than ever pressing vinyl, when I say than ever, I mean, since vinyl was the only format or the predominant. So there's more people than ever pressing vinyl, which in and of itself isn't, isn't that big of an issue. Um, but when it's coupled with the fact that people who've always pressed vinyl bands like, uh, like Jack White, the white stripes, uh, you know, folks like, uh, Daft Punk and Radiohead, um, those folks are, are pressing more vinyl than ever. So, you know, like I said, last year, uh, in the United States or, you know, blunderbuss is 70 to 80,000 copies of an LP that we've manufactured and have gone out through our doors. Mm -hmm. Um, that's a number that no one, I mean, you know, five years ago would have been, would have exploded your brain. Um, but now it's like you get banned, like Daft Punk and Vampire Weekend and Queens of the Stone Age are all moving, uh, you know, first week vinyl sales are, uh, 15, 20, 30,000 shit like that. Um, it, that really really and so those are the big numbers but there's you know all all your folks like uh you know there's a new pearl jam record coming out that's that's already you know they i feel like you know they're just gonna have to repress you know and and things uh the, the the issue becomes or the issue that is right now is that uh there's more demand than than supply and the supply is uh pressing plant capacity so, um, and, and I mean, given the scope of, of how Third Man works, and I'm not going to put this on you, have you contemplated mm-hmm. uh, starting up a plant? Um, I don't want to start, I don't want to run a record pressing plant. Uh, I've, I, we've had the, the opportunity, however, however small or, or um, uh, minuscule the offer or, or, or the, the capacity that we would have, um, uh, I don't know anything about mechanical engineering <laughs> or being being zoned for industrial use or steam power. Um, I mean, like when you're growing up, in, you know, I come from, you know, kind of a, a punk DIY mindset of, of working for record labels and doing mail order out of your bedroom and, and all that stuff. Um, 
And in that world, it was always like, if I just had fill in the blank, I could do so much more. If I just had uh, a studio, or if I just had a lathe, or if I just had a record press, or if I just had a, a photocopier, I could do all of this myself, and I wouldn't have to rely upon someone else. Yeah. Um, because inevitably, when you rely upon someone else, you're beholden to their schedules and their turnaround times. So I'd always thought, if I just had a record press, I could press records whenever I needed them. I'd set it out in the, in the garage, and I'd just you know, press, press 100 before the show and go out and maybe do different colors, different labels, whatever, all that stuff. And it wasn't until someone, you know, it was, it was literally the folks at United say, like, hey, if you guys want, like, a 7-inch press, we could hook you up with one, and you know, that you could run. And as soon as that was said, I immediately thought, I know nothing about, about actually pressing records. I know how to be a record label to order records and to ship them and, and you know, where to sell them and, and, and all the, the mechanics behind it. But the actual physical process of manufacturing a record... I don't want to do that. I mean, I, I want to be as close to that as possible without being in charge of it. Um, and that's what we have with, with United Record Pressing um, about two miles down the, down the road from us. Um, I'm able to go in there. Um, wh- whenever the door is unlocked, I can walk in and the folks there are going to recognize me and they're going to know me. And I can look at our records on press. Um, I, can, I can pick up something as soon as it's done. I've gone there. Uh, I've been at United at 9.45 on a Tuesday morning before picking up records that are being released at, at 10 a.m. Um, that, that's, that's what I like. Okay. I, I don't want I, – I'm, I'm, uh, I'm not a manufacturer. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a something else. I'm well, a psychedelic stooge. You're a psychedelic stooge. But you outlined some <laughs> of the issues then. What are possible solutions to this uh, shortage problem? It's really hard because no one makes new vinyl record presses, and uh, it's not like there's a company that's just sitting on a, a bunch of machines that can make vinyl record presses, and they're just mothballed, and they're just waiting for that demand to get there. No, the demand is there, um, and just hearing from other, other folks who've, who've researched it further, um, you know, the cost of a new vinyl press um, were one to even be feasible i've heard of being uh half a million dollars hmm. um and that's and that's not that's that's i think is more so just the the tag price that wouldn't be the startup and infrastructure to actually you know get to a point where you can actually make one um so you know with with no new presses being manufactured you're kind of and you know there's there's approximately in the united states about a dozen pressing plants and some open, some close. Um, you know, the the capacity doesn't really go up or down. It just kind of shifts. Mm-hmm. Um, and I won't take credit for her coming up with that terminology. That goes to Jay Millar at United Record Pressing. <laughs> I realize I've stolen that from him uh, a long time ago, but I want to want to give him credit. Um, but so it's not. Um, I don't know what the solution is. I, I'm almost. I'm I'm hoping that that other people. Uh, who are maybe new to the game and aren't uh, don't have their hearts fully in it, uh, maybe get scared away. I've got a couple a couple friends who've told me stories recently, just um, of turning in records, uh, all the parts, the components needed uh, for manufacturing, turning in records uh, four months before the release date uh, and missing their release date. Yeah, yeah, uh, I'm hearing it, and you're you're hoping that. So what you're saying is that you you think it's a bit the, the current demand is sort of trendy, and eventually it may die out. Definitely, I mean it's definitely considered by a lot of people a, a trend or a fad. Um, but you know we were we were pressing records before that was the consideration. Yeah, yeah. And we'll be we'll be we'll be pressing records afterwards. Um, maybe our numbers will will go up and down accordingly. Um, maybe they'll just continue going up that's that's the hope mm-hmm. um but you know this is you know i think i'm too old to learn something else if <laughs> this is what i'm doing i'm i'm doing i'm doing vinyl for the foreseeable future okay uh. <laughs> oh, that's great to hear well uh, speaking of the foreseeable future I'm, I'm curious about what's on the horizon for third man records what, what's coming up next uh, you've got the Rise and Fall of Paramount Records, 1917 to 1932, coming out. The Wonder Cabinet, as we've already discussed. Uh, yeah. uh, so that's a big thing. Uh, what else is uh, coming up? We've got, we just announced today, uh, we've got a 
one of the most exciting things we've ever uh, I've ever done any record label anywhere. Uh, we've got a, a recording coming out by a band that that's really really important to to all of us here. Uh, you know, myself and Jack and, and Ben Swank, uh, a band called the Gories um, mm-hmm. from Detroit. Wow. Uh, yeah, check it out. Um, so we uh, the Gories were around from 1986 to 1992, um, and they were a huge inspiration on the White Stripes. Um, a huge inspiration on me, just kind of being young, growing up in Detroit. Um, I ended up uh, the band I play in, the Dirt Bombs. The lead singer of the Dirt Bombs, Mick Collins, was in the Gories. Um, kind of just really, really amazing. 1960s garage melded with 50s blues and uh, touches of R&B and punk, um, but really, really kind of unique, standing alone. Uh, there's, I really can't compare them to to anyone other than you know the 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 Crypt Records Back from the Grave compilation series. Mm-hmm. Um, that's kind of kind of their uh, uh, their inspiration. Um, but so anyways, Third Man, we, we've been working on for almost two years now, uh, getting this release together, but it's a, uh, it's a live recording of the band, um, at a house party, uh, in 1988. And, uh, it's just this band at, uh, at the height of their powers. It's, mm-hmm. it's really, really, uh, unbelievable live recording, all kinds of songs that they never, never recorded or released, uh, you know, one-off cover songs they do. Um, they do the Stooges real cool time. They do, uh, leaving here, which was a hit for Eddie Holland on Motown. Um, they do, uh, uh I just want to make love to you by Willie Dixon. They do hate by the Stoics. They do Nautiloid reef by the Nautiloids. I could go on and on, mm. but, uh, you know, in my mind, uh, the Gories are the equivalent, uh, to their, their era as the Velvet Underground were to theirs, and uh, the Cramps were to theirs, um, so maybe not you know the hugest megastars, you know, crazy successful, but um, so unique and so singular and uh, standing alone that they just inspired tons and tons of people to um, to pick up guitars and do something or or whatever you want to call it. Um, so, the, uh, so my hope is that, you know, more and more people, um, mention the Gories in the same breath as, as the cramps and the velvet on their own, because I, I, I truly believe that that's how important they are. And, uh, and not enough people are, are aware of it. And so again, just, just like Paramount records, just like, uh, the sun reissues, just like document, we we have this position where we can spread the word. And so we want to be spreading the word, on the gories so this live this live recording uh is is proof positive of that and when will it be out um it'll be out november 26th okay cool well man i can't wait i can't wait to hear this thing yeah and that cd lp uh digital download um you know the full the full nine yards we're we're covering all the bases speaking of covering all the bases you know what's making a comeback or it already has last few years tapes tapes are back tapes you you can have tapes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'll 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 skip that revival. I'll go on to, uh, you know, call me back in twenty years when CDs make a comeback. Right. And maybe we can talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, it's great. To, it's been great speaking with you. Ben Blackwell works at Third Man Records, and you can learn more about the label, which is really fantastic, at uh, thirdmanrecords.com. Uh, ben, if we were going to go out on a song. Um, from the Third Man Records catalog or, or whatever you might feel that is permissible to play right now on a podcast or a radio show, what what would you like to hear? Ooh, um, is it totally subject to my imagination or just uh, what you have laying in front of you or something I can send you? It's uh, You can send me whatever you want. You can send me something. Um, we should. I think we should go out on, uh, on the Gories, since that's the last thing we talked about. We should... Uh, um, listen to something by the Gories. Now, is there is it possible for you to send me something from this new release? Yeah, of course. Why now, wouldn't I? I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, what do we? What What do you want to pick? Let me see. I want to look at the track list. Um, the Gories. Hmm. Let's probably go with. Uh, 
Let's go with the Stooges cover, Real Cool Time. Let's okay. listen to that. All right. This is uh, the Gorys doing the Stooges. Uh, ben Blackwell, uh, a tremendous pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. If you love listening to vinyl records but wish you had a better way of storing your collection, check out Records on Walls. This Canadian company has created a sleek, simple framing design with no glass that allows you to quickly and simply display your records. They're easy to install on any surface, they fit double LPs and gatefolds, and each unit sells for as little as 7 bucks. So, if you love your vinyl and want an accessible way of showing it off, check out recordsonwalls.com. Hey, thanks again for checking out Creative Control with Vish Khanna. You can email me about the show at creativecontrol933 at gmail.com. That's creative with a K, control with a K, 933 at gmail.com. You can also follow our Twitter at Vish Creative, V-I-S-H-K-R-E-A-T-I-V-E. And you can also like our Facebook page. A version of this show airs on CFRU in Guelph every Wednesday at noon Eastern. And you can listen to that online at CFRU.ca or if you're in the KW region at 93.3 FM in Guelph. You can also sign up for the weekly mailing list for the podcast and the, and the show at vishkana.com and subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. I believe that is everything I wanted to tell you. Thank you once again.
Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.